0: This is Making Disciples with Robbie Gallaty, which is part of the Replicate Podcast Network. It is a resource to equip and encourage leaders to make disciples who make disciple makers. This is part two of Voices of Revival, talking with Byron Paulus. If you haven't listened to part one, go back to last week's episode, download and listen to that as we continue the conversation on Voices of Revival. Talking about revival, and we're really... Uh, just talking to some specific leaders who have been impacted or influenced or are influencing uh, networks of churches, individual churches, pastors, leaders, and really you, wherever you are and whatever you do as a follower of Jesus and what he wants to do in your heart and your life. And so let's just continue the conversation. Pastor Robbie, you were uh, leaning into some stuff here with Byron and and, uh, really hearing some of these incredible stories and just that powerful story you left off with Byron about uh, that deed to that property and what a miracle that is to even think about something like that being possible. Uh, of course, in our own human mind, we're just like, that's, you know, I'm a skeptic right out of the gate where, you know, when you pull up yeah. and start praying for something like that immediately, I think, ah, there's no way that can happen. But then once again, God proves that he is God of all creation. He can that's do something as small to him as giving somebody a property, that's such an incredible miracle to us. So
1: pastor, uh,
0: let's continue the conversation here.
1: Yeah. uh, Yeah. Let's uh, let's transition now into some practical steps. And obviously, as we always say, uh, God sends the fire. Mm -hmm. Uh, We can't manufacture the the fire, but we can stack the wood through prayer. And Mm -hmm. I think so many people don't have a wood stack or, or a stock of wood, even ready for God to send the fire. And so uh, you've given your life to revival, as you've said. I've looked to you uh, in the past, and obviously more recently, you've been a great friend and a mentor to me. You, you've written a bunch of articles on this. So I want to. I want to ask you, kind of in a succinct manner, just what are some things we can do? Because I think we need. I don't think anybody listening is saying we don't need revival. No, we got this. God, you're good. You know, we're good. I think we're all saying we have to have revival. Yeah. We can't strategize out of this mess. We can't vote our way out of this. We can't elect our way out of this. We can't plan our way out of this. We can't nonprofit our way out. We need right. God to send revival. We got to pray our way out of this through revival. Bar, what are, for those listening now in a very practical way, are there some things we can do as a person? Uh, let's start there. And then I want to transition and talk about prayer nights because this is a big thing you and I share a passion for. Yeah. But what can we do as a person, as a group, to prepare for revival?
2: Well, I think, yeah, I want to mention just a couple of things there, and it may be feel fragmented, but they probably are the things that over the years has surfaced as as prominent. Somebody said one time, you know, doctors are the last ones to get physicals, uh, lawyers are the last ones they have a will, and revivalists are the last ones that think they need revival. Oh. And, and I think... Uh, with pastors, particularly because we're in the word, we're preaching the word. We think we have a less need, but God has never yet sent revival to anyone that didn't think they needed it. Mm -hmm. And so I think, you know, David would say over and over, I am poor and needy, (laughs) you know, it's me, it's me, it's me, oh Lord. So I think that we have a need and that begins with us and not the person next to us. Uh, drawing that circle and stepping inside of it and say, Lord, begin revival in my heart. And that's what uh, the old Gypsy Smith evangelist used to do. And you remember this, probably he would come to a city and the first thing he would do, draw a circle, step inside it and say, oh, God, send revival to this circle. And whenever he would pray that prayer, God would do his greatest work. So let's begin with the fact it needs to begin with me. I think, secondly, as a leader of a church or pastor of a ministry, and we've done this on every year for 50 years, I believe there are points in the work of God and there's processes. And Robbie, what I think you and our friend Nate down in Texas did, whether you knew it or not, you were modeling the importance of setting aside protracted times in a point that God can move. I think we're good in our churches. We're good in our ministry with a process of Sunday, do this and program. And that's essential. But I think we've lost the importance of setting aside for a given period of time, protracted time to seek the face of God. Uh, people yes. how could your ministry last 50 years? And I'll just say this, if we ever lose that one week every summer where we shut everything down, you know, that was easy when there were 20 or 30 staff, but when there's 200 and some and you have to bring them in from around the world now, you know, and, and you're just saying, Hey, stop everything. Let's just seek the face of God and give God time uh, to work in our hearts. You know, um, if, if, Sunday to Sunday, it's amazing. I was talking to Sue this morning, my wife, Robbie, and I, and I was talking about, you know, I've known pastors that's come to me and says, I can't even remember what I preached last Sunday. You <laughs> uh, well, yes, yeah, yeah. the person sitting in the pew, too, because so many things may be good things, but to not build one truth upon the other without forgetting it. It just creates a context for God yeah, to good. So I say return to points uh in your in your personal walk where you take a retreat for a week, a year, or whatever, and give God time to speak. And then I think the other thing is we jump to the horizontal so quickly with, and skip over the vertical. Uh, and we've mm-hmm. talked about this, Robbie, quite a bit. Just Acts chapter 2, we like the rest of Acts. We just don't <laughs> like Acts chapter 2 of waiting in the upper yes. and, uh, But when, when we are vertically where God wants us to be uh, falling in love with Jesus all over again, I think is the way uh, Duncan Campbell said it, and uh, that that is revival. And when we take care of the vertical relationship, it's just amazing what happens, and marriages restored. I mean, I could tell you unbelievable stories of marriages restored, children uh, repenting. I mean, just amazingly timing. To somebody getting right with God, their parents, you know, and, and on the list goes. So I, I would say those are a few things. And, you know, you talk about stacking the wood. Uh, I say we set our sails to catch the wind when God chooses to blow up on his people once again. Mm. And those are setting the sails, giving time, concentrated time. And then B, I think focusing on the vertical before the
1: horizontal. Man, that's so good. Let me ask you this. What, what, as you think? Cause you've had the privilege of seeing a lot of different guys through the years. Leonard Ravenhill did a conference with him years ago and other guys from the past. What would be some encounters in revival or encounters with revivalists that you think would that come to mind that would really encourage some of our uh, listeners just to really continue to step out in faith and trust God. Cause I think for me, that's what really does it. When I hear these stories, and it just reminds me, these are not like extraordinary men. We heard from Manly Beasley's uh, sons. Dad was not super spiritual. He was extra dependent upon the spirit to live every moment of his day. So wasn't anything special about dad. He needed that. And that's what made him special. Yeah. Comment on that for a moment.
2: Yeah, I'll comment on that last statement because I think our founder, you know, he wasn't perfect, but he was perfectly willing to admit he wasn't. And I think that's the thread with all of these men that God has used so powerfully. And the Leonard Ravenhills and Manly Beasleys and some of those people that that were so familiar with their names. I'd like to skip over them for just a moment and talk about somebody that not many people really know about, but may have been one of the most strategically used guys. His name is Bill McLeod. Bill McLeod was in Saskatchewan, Canada, pastored a small church. I mean, I want to say 150, maybe 200. But Bill McLeod probably was one of the godliest men I've ever met. He would stand up to speak, and you would think all he knew was scripture. And I said, Bill, how do you memorize so much scripture? And he says, I don't memorize scripture. I said, what do you mean? He said, I just read it six hours every day. And it's become his language. You know, and so when you when you read about um, the Canadian revival, Irwin Lutzer's written books on the Canadian revival, and, and uh, the revival you read about experiencing God, where Henry Blackaby was touched and Nishla that gave him the passion for it. It was in Bill McLeod's church, and so he, Duncan Campbell came through one time, and here's what Duncan Campbell told Bill McLeod. He said, "I believe revival could." begin in your church. And Bill was ecstatic. And uh, But he said, it'll begin when you have more people coming to your midweek prayer meeting than you do your Sunday morning worship service. Bill sat on that and finally decided, you know what? I'm going to put as much time, effort, and energy into our midweek prayer meeting than the Sunday morning worship service. And the day came where he had more people coming to his midweek prayer meeting than the Sunday morning worship service and God descended. And that's what ignited the Canadian revival. Now get this. It didn't last but a span. I don't know how long the actual um, event took place, so to speak, and it's everything but an event. Uh, and, uh, but uh, there were out of that church, 150 to 200. Of course it grew and they had to go a larger auditorium and a larger auditorium. 2,200 lay couples went. Out of that revival around the world to share the stories, the testimony of what they just experienced. Imagine that 2200 missionaries, wow, peoples, wow. All in a matter of really less than a year or two, went forth to share what God had done. So, when we talk about hey, uh, revival spreads on the wings of testimonies,
1: <laughs> yeah, that's an
2: example of the wings of testimonies.
1: I've and, heard somebody say the fame of revival fans the flame of revival, right? So the fame of it fans it into flame. You talked about the prayer night and the prayer meeting. This has really been, uh, I had this encounter with the Lord. I heard an internal voice, um, you know, spontaneous baptism. I've had people push back on that and say, well, how did you hear that voice? I've never heard the voice like that. And my response is it took 10 months of one and a half to two hours a night of sitting with the Lord no fireworks, no global megaphone, nothing. And then finally, internally, I heard this. And my response would be, How long are you sitting with the Lord? And it's not anything special about me, but I had to, it took a long time to hear from the voice of God like that. How many are even willing to spend 10, 10 days with the Lord or even 10 minutes, right? So I heard this thing. I heard this voice internally. I responded. And it started this move of God, you know, and you know about it, this baptism. And I knew early on, I knew that. I needed to continue to prepare my heart and our people's hearts to really stoke the fire. If you can, I mean, obviously God sovereignly sends revival, but I knew there was something we could do on our part to continue to stoke the fire. And I heard Michael cat one time, he was telling me, he said the, the, the leader of, a, of the pastor in a revival is a manager of the fire. This is what he told me. So it. Cool. Sure, yeah, he it. said, he said, you have the poker. Sometimes the revival needs to have more logs put on. So the flame gets higher. But the flame can't stay high forever because you'll get burned if it's at an intense heat. So sometimes you need to move the logs around. Sometimes you need to let it simmer. But you as the pastor need discernment on how to stoke the fire. And so I learned from talking to you and others, the prayer meeting was the key. Now, at Long Hollow, we hadn't had a prayer meeting. In fact, we hadn't had a prayer meeting definitely in the five and a half years I had been there or I had been here and definitely not in, the, not in the time before. And and even when we had a, t- a prayer meeting years ago, it was the typical, you know, 30, 40 minute devotional, and then a laundry list of praying for Aunt susan's sister's hip replacement, which is a big deal for her. Yeah. But that's not the kind of prayer meeting i read through history. Yeah. I wanted to get people to talk to God and hear from God and, and sense and press in to God. And so I talked to Jim Cimbala, I've talked to you and Michael Catt, and y'all really helped me with the prayer meeting. That is, I believe, the fuel that continues to stoke the fire of revival at Long Hollow. Can you speak to that? Why, Why do we need that today, in your opinion, more than ever before?
2: Well, as you noted, it's not just gathering to pray. It's encountering God. It's hearing from him taken, you know, speak, Lord, your servant listens. I like to listen, Lord, your servant speaks, you know, and if we would spend as much time just listening for God, as we do speaking to God, God might speak to us, and we might know his, what his plan is for our church or community, and so definitely, it's got to be a prayer meeting where we're taking time to hear from God himself. And um, you know Bill McCloud I referenced earlier, and this is where I fear uh, people will look at Long Hollow, or they'll look there at Northeast Baptist Houston, or out in Spring, is it Springdale, Arkansas, where Nick Floyd is, or whatever, and and they will start to mimic. Well, if we just start a Tuesday night prayer meeting like Jim Cimbelit does, you know, then maybe God will move. Yeah. And I think we gotta first of all, like you did, get before the face of God and say, God what's the expression you have for me and for our community of believers? So take Bill McLeod, for example. I was blown away when one time I was talking to him, and he he probably has impacted my life more than anybody, so sensitive to the Lord. And uh, he said, you know, Byron, I, I, I asked God to wake me up in the middle of the night to pray for revival. And he said, for 30 years, I've never missed a night in the middle of the night of getting up and praying. For a revival. And I said, what? what do you pray for, Bill? And he says, Well, sometimes I just pray for all the nations and islands of the world. I just sit there, you know. And so I thought, Lord, I don't even know if I want to pray that prayer, <laughs> you know, but I did. I said, Lord, if you would wake yeah. me up. Now I am convinced in the last 25 years since I talked to Bill about this, God's probably waking me up in the middle of the night every night. And I haven't gotten up every night, but most every night. I prayed through Isaiah 64. Oh, and I don't think there's a revival prayer in all of Scripture as powerful and maybe most useful to the heart of God than Isaiah 64. The passion, three times in that passage, he starts with, oh, and then, oh, I beseech you. And then, oh Lord, at the end in verse 12. So you just go through and you talk about fire. And it says in verse 2 as when the melting fire burns, it causes the waters to boil. What happens when water boils? It purifies. So when mm. the fire burns, one of the main things we have to look for is purity, which ties over to James, right? The effectual prayer of a fervent man, righteous man, avails much for yeah. a righteous man. So I think is purity precedes power for one thing. So it's not just a prayer meeting, it's being in a place of prayer in our hearts and not mimicking what worked elsewhere. You know, we talked about Acts two uh, one time movements begin by not moving.
1: Yes, <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah, that, I use that all the time.
2: And the second thing in that verse is uh, it's experienced before it's exported. So we mm. want to take the prayer meeting at Jim Simbola, and we want to export it, you know, mm. for him and bring it to our church. And uh, that may be what God has. It may not be what God has, but he heard from God on that first. And so uh, I think it's Finding out from the heart of God what He has for our church, our community. It may be all night prayer meetings. It may be 24-7, like Austin, Texas, really believes they're going to be the most prayed over city in America. I love that. And uh, but it's different. So get the mind of God on what it should look
1: like. And it's so, you know, it's so good to hear you say that and refreshing because I tell people, um, God may not be leading you to do spontaneous baptism. Maybe not, probably not. But you need to get a word from God, and you need to hear from God, and then you need to stake your life on what that word is and, and trust God through obedience and faith. And so uh, I love what Dave Butts said, uh, who is a mutual friend of ours, and you introduced me to Dave. Uh, he was the, uh, he was the uh, national director of the uh, National Day of Prayer for years and on the board. And he said uh, when he was teaching our church on prayer, he said, Robbie, you have to pray before you start a prayer night. In fact, he said, you need to pray about praying. Everything you everything you want to do in prayer needs to begin with prayer. I never thought about that. Before you start a prayer night, you need to pray about the prayer night. And before you start a prayer meeting, pray about the prayer meeting. And so I think I think that's good for all of us. So let, let me finish. We got about three, four minutes, uh, five minutes left. Let me ask you this. Can you tell us anything you think we need to hear as we move forward um, as a church, as a nation, as a people? Just anything on your heart in the area of revival, spiritual awakening that you feel like, man, if I if I could just speak to those listening who are hungry, those who are the hungry who want more, what would you say? Anything comes to mind?
2: You know, a very practical sense. Uh, this wouldn't be something that I think most of your audience would be expecting to hear. But, you know, we've been in 7,000 local churches with our life action teams since its inception. And over the last 25 years, if you were to ask any of what we call our revivalists, what is the greatest need in the church today? I, 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 you probably wouldn't be surprised, but they would say it's bitterness, unforgiveness. And uh, I believe that. And I believe that until we, um, blessed are the merciful, they shall have mercy, And uh, forgive us our trust, like as we forgive those who trespass against us. Hosea 10, 12 might be my favorite revival verse of a singular verse. I think it has more principles of revival than any others. Sow to yourselves in righteousness. Reap in mercy. That means reap in unfailing love. Reap in mercy. Break up your fallow ground. It is time to seek the Lord until he comes and rains righteousness upon you. That reap in mercy is basically get to a place where you can forgive. Bitterness is the stronghold in our churches today. And when we forgive, and uh, I believe that releases the ability to experience his. There's so much more I'd want to say there, but that's one little thing that I think I'd love to say to pastors
1: at least. Yeah, no, that's good. Uh, Any story comes to mind of anybody, Ravenhill, Peter Lord, uh, Manly Beasley, Ron Dunn, any any story that you can leave us with before we go? Quick story about revival.
2: Yeah, I would just say, um, uh, well, with Ravenhill, we had him here not just for a a forum on revival, but we didn't speak to our staff for a whole week. And I was a little surprised when he got up to the platform and before he preached, not after. He got prostrate on the platform. And I don't know, 30, 40 minutes cried out to God. And uh, and and I remember he stood up and, and I remember him saying, uh, if you're willing to live without revival, you will. Wow. And I'm just praying, uh, probably for my own life that I won't come to the point because the older you get, the easier it becomes to be willing to go to the place of comfort instead of to the place of of sacrifice. And I, I want to be where I'm not willing to go another day without seeing the breath of God, to see the hand of God. And it's so true. I saw the fire of God in a city come upon that city for three days, and the smoke has been on my clothes forever. That was 1976. And I said, Lord, just one more time in my lifetime. That's all, just one more time. And I'll be satisfied for for spending my life in uh, literally my life in seeking Him and and mobilizing others to seek Him.
1: Man, so good. Well, you have done that, brother. You have been a uh, constant encouragement in my life, sparked me on to press into God and believe there's more. I tell people all the time, you have as much of God as you want. Sure. And, um, you have all of God as, as you really desire. And so there's more, I'm here to tell you, Byron's here to tell you, there's more of God Amen. for those who want more. So thank you for being with us.
0: Yeah, God, absolutely. You guys. What, what a great, uh, podcast and just sitting and listening to these stories and getting, uh, convicted and challenged and uh, encouraged. And so hearing, hearing how God is, is working through one cry life action and just your ministry and what what you're a part of there, Byron. so appreciative of it and, and for uh, joining us today. As always, if you enjoyed the podcast, take a moment and text it to a friend, share it with someone you know that might be encouraged by it. If you wouldn't mind, give us a rating on whatever platform you listen to your podcast. And until next time, bye-bye.
1: Are you struggling with the fatigue of ministry post-COVID? Have you experienced some fruit but hit a plateau in your life or even your church? Could you benefit from a group of like-minded leaders? who can help you achieve your God-given potential. Being a church leader is more challenging today than it has ever been, and the pandemic hasn't made it any easier to lead. We now have a whole new set of problems to deal with as church leaders that will require new solutions. With this in mind, we developed the Replicate Collective. This is a close-knit group of church leaders who want to help you and your church unleash your God-given potential. Members of the collective, We'll interact with premier church leaders, men like Will Mancini, David Platt, Pete Scazzaro, and many others. Members of the collective create catalytic clarity for their church and personal lives. They participate in weekly huddles with like-minded church leaders. And you'll get personal coaching from me and the Replicate team. If you're interested in applying to join the collective or simply want to find out more, head over to ReplicateCollective.com replicatecollective.com we have limited spots so you want to check it out today
2: thank you for joining us for this episode take a moment to subscribe and share this podcast you can receive more free resources to help you make disciples in your home, group, or church by clicking the link in the show notes or visiting our
0: website at replicate.org